We thank you for the Lord's Day. We thank you for a new week, a new beginning for the resurrection and for all of its implications, even though we have yet to fully realize them or grasp them. We pray that today we would grasp a little bit more, that we would come to see that this is all of life and that everything we're engaged in either contributes to that life or takes away from it. So help us to see our duties without being burdened and overwhelmed. Help us to see those duties as privileges and joys and opportunities to grow and mature and to become more like Christ and to see that inculcated in our children and in the future and to see your kingdom grow in every sense of the word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Continuing our series on child training, today I want to talk about worship, both family and corporate worship, because as families, we're part of the church, and that's a family, and so these these two things are intimately woven together and connected, and so I'm going to talk about both the worship in your home, as well as uh, your children's, since we're talking about raising children, about your children's worship in the church or in the congregation. So I want to add that worship in your home uh, is not simply those formal times of assembled worship. It should actually be the entire aroma of your home. The culture of worship should spill over into every area of life. And so we want both. We need form. That's the formal part. Uh, but the form isn't to stop there. Okay, we don't just check a box and say we've now completed the form, the formal part. Now that is to have an implication. That's to spill over into everyday life. So what we do on Sunday morning should spill over into all the other days of the week. And we come back and we do it formally, the form, again, the structure of what we want to do. And I want to build a little bit on what Pastor uh, Jeffrey taught us this weekend in the men's discipleship about uh, the importance of structure, habit, and character. And we're going to see that. Here's a, a very particular way in which we can apply what he was teaching this weekend. Uh, last week we talked about culture, but so there's a culture of worship then that should spill over into every area of life. It's not just a little slice of the pie, something we're doing uh, along with the other slices of the pie of our family life. Uh, but it is the whole pie. Worship is everything. And then all the other parts of our lives are to reflect that worship in some way, acknowledging the presence of God, uh, being aware that we fail, and the need to repent, the need to grow, the need to learn, the need to give thanks, the need to repent and be forgiven and to come under God's Word, and that'll apply to finances and child-rearing and hospitality and, and worship. So all those things are tied together. So we've already talked about establishing and cultivating a family culture, and remember, culture embraces what? Everything. There's not anything outside of that. And it's really, again, inescapable the famous quote from Henry Van Til is that culture is religion externalized. Uh, so let's, we can do this in another way. We can find out what you believe 
by looking at what you actually do. We could ask you what you believe, and you could tell us, and you may or may not be living up to that, but if we were to just observe what you do, we could extract from that what you believe. So ideas have consequences, and consequences have ideas behind them. Um, So we could look at your marriage, we could look at your home, your church involvement, your hospitality, your giving, your children, etc., and we will know something, actually we'll know quite a lot, about what or who you worship. Seeing is believing. So part of the family culture is worship. Your family culture is teaching something. It's teaching your children about worship. Who or what to worship, how to worship, when to worship, all of those and more. Your worship decisions on Sunday and every other day of the week tell your children what you think of worship. How important is it? How much thought goes into it? Uh, and so forth. So, uh, most, now most of you, obviously, especially those who come to Sunday school, uh, you go to church. But have you taught your children to love the church? That's a different thing. Because, in the end, what we're trying to inculcate in our children is the right loves. Don't you do the things you love? You're given the opportunity. Somebody says, you can do whatever you want to do on Monday. You're going to do whatever you love. You love to sleep. You love to play. You love to go to the swimming pool. You know, whatever it is you love to do is what you're going to do. Essentially... Uh, everybody does what they want to do eventually. That's kind of how it works out. We all have the same amount of time every day, and we're going to spend it all doing something. And generally, we're going to try to do as much of that doing things we love as we can. And so uh, your children probably know the mechanics of public worship. We have a liturgy that's printed in our order of worship. We know the process. We know the order that things happen. Um, but let me ask you this, and this is a hard, it's not that hard, but it's, it's a different question. So if I said, have you seen your children worship? Then you, yeah, you've seen them sit next to you and look, uh, maybe read the responsive readings or kneel when they're supposed to kneel or raise their hand. So you've seen that. But I want to ask something a little different. Have you seen them worship from the heart? Have you observed that? That takes a keener eye to see that. Um, And that's what we're looking for. That's when you have real satisfaction. And you'll know that sometimes by the way they respond. Sometimes you see it out of the corner of your eye, whether they're engaged when they should be engaged or whether they're distracted when they should be engaged. Um, Whether they ever comment about something that happened in the worship service on the way home. Next week, something, a comment about what they learned or what they felt, uh, how they were moved, what kind of changes they want to implement in their lives. Those would be some evidences of some fruit. So your job is to teach them to love what you love. And if they don't love the church and they don't love worship, that means... Either you don't 
love these things, or else you're not teaching them to love them, or both. So it's possible, I think, that you could love it, and there are probably things you love that your kids don't love. Maybe you've not taken the time to show them, teach them. You don't love what you don't know. And so it does involve instruction and cultivation of love. And let me make, I'm going to make a side note here because I know sometimes I see families who are very good about uh, family worship. Most people struggle with getting that habit developed, but sometimes I see people who have that part down. We do this every day at this time. Uh, but I've also seen a few of those families turn worship into a legalistic oppression. It is something we are going to do come hell or high water and I don't care if everybody's miserable in the process, we're still going to do it because we want to check the box because that means we're good people because we worshiped. So don't turn your family worship or any other kind of worship into another act of works righteousness, of something we've done uh, that we can pat ourselves on the back because our family never misses Bible study. We read the Bible every day. What about you? Do you do that like us? And so that becomes a heart attitude that really needs to be resisted. Um, So that's just a a footnote, a caution there. You can fall in a ditch on either side of a road. So that's the ditch on the other side. So you sacrifice for the things you love because why? They're priorities. Remember, there are always things in life that we don't want to do, uh, but that we uh, should do because God said to, or some legitimate authority tells us that it's good for us. And so there, there are many times we're doing things on the front end. Uh, and those of you who are musicians, uh, uh, Parker, I see you there, so I'll ask you. What, I assume there was a moment, maybe you can't pinpoint it, but it's, it kind of reminds me of conversion Sometimes somebody who's converted to Christ later in life, they can tell you when it was and what time of day. But there had to be some moment in your learning the violin where you began to love it. Is that right? Yeah. And you may not know that it was a Thursday at 2 o'clock, but maybe a period of your life, maybe a certain age where you go, it went from being laborious, rote, practice, and work to where it clicked. And you said, oh, man, I want to do that again. I, I want to, now I want to do it, maybe not every single time, but more and more as you became, as the more you knew it, the more you understood it, the more you heard what it, what it could produce, the more attractive it became, the more lovely it became. And as it becomes lovely, then as, again, as Pastor Jeffrey pointed out yesterday, We start with the structure. Okay, practice this much per day. uh, And then at some point, you don't have to be told that. It it becomes who you are. It it gets inculcated in your character. Uh, So we're going from that structure to the habit to the uh, character. So I do hope you do make yourself and your children do many things that you don't want to do. Okay? Because the goal is to want to do them. But if you're waiting to want to do them before you do them, you'll never do them. You do your duty first, 
uh, it's like God told Cain when he was thinking about doing something awful to his brother. He says, God says, why is your countenance fallen? Uh, and he says, because sin is crouching at the door. If you will do, God says to Cain, what is right, your countenance will be lifted up. You'll have a smile on your face. It'll change your attitude. Do your duty first, then your attitude will follow. So when I do those these things that I don't want to do, but that are good for me, then I grow. I mature. I move toward a change uh, of coming to the place where I do want to do them, and and I don't regret having done them, even though perhaps there were many times I didn't want to do them. Um, so for some reason I resist, well, I think I know the reason it's because I have a sinful heart and I resist prayer and Bible study, but I have never read my Bible or prayed or worshiped and a host of other things like that. And I've never done that and then regretted having done it. Have you ever prayed and said, Oh, I wish I hadn't prayed. I read my Bible. Boy, I wish I hadn't read my Bible today. And yet, I will still resist next time. There's a part of me that finds an excuse or reason not to do the thing that I never regret. Now, have you ever not prayed or not read your Bible and regretted it? I hope so. So this is mainly because I'm self-centered and lazy. I don't know about you. Well, actually, I do know about you because I assume you're a lot like me. You're lazy and self-centered. So parents, these are some of the main things that you're trying to train your children not to be is self-centered and lazy. That comes natural. It's You're born with that. Fully participating in the community, in the communion... You were made for communion. You were made for community. The triune God is a community, and He made us to live in community, to live in communion. And as a result of that, we're put in families and churches. And when we do live in that communion, in that community, it spills over into a life of love and service. This is, again, not just a checklist of things to do, but the, the goal is to love God and love our neighbor. And it's in worship where we learn to do that. Why? Because in worship is where I learn not to think about me, and I learn to think about God. That's loving God. That's putting Him first. That's putting Him above me. And so a, a certain aspect of this requires self-denial. To come to church, you got to get up, you got to get ready, you got to get dressed, you got to get here on time, you have to listen, you have to work at this a bit. You have to deny yourself certain things in order to gain what is being given. And the same thing is true in your family. So remember, your children must see you regularly doing the things that God's called you to do. You're going to be demanding that they do things that they don't necessarily want to do, but that you require them. So you should be modeling for them the fact that you're doing all kinds of things that you don't, not because you're griping about it and complaining about it, but they know it's hard. 
But they know dad always does his duty. Dad does what he's supposed to do, even though that he might rather be sitting on the couch. Duty and responsibility. In addition to times of gathering for family worship, do your children ever see you reading the Bible or praying other than at meals? Have they heard you confess sin? Do they hear you give thanks? Do they hear you sing? Uh, Do they hear you talk about the things of God? All those are elements of worship. And they should see that at times other than when you're just having formal family worship. So this is what's meant in Deuteronomy 6. You shall teach them diligently, that is the, the laws of God, to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. It's just how you live. Walking with God is 24-7. It's not an occasional stroll. So it's your job to inculcate this into your children, and you will do this uh, when your family culture establishes it. That's what the structure is for. We have certain times when we meet. We have certain things we do in our house on a daily basis, other things on a weekly basis. And by doing that in a regular and systematic way, it establishes a habit. So, for example, if you grow up going to church and you're at church every single Sunday uh, and hopefully engaged in that, not just uh, sitting here like a bump on a log, um, then if you go off to college, uh, the idea of not going to church would be the odd thing. It would now feel strange not to be in church on Sunday because it's become a habit. And But if, if coming to church was always, what do you feel like this Sunday or uh, Saturday night? Hey, are we going tomorrow? I don't know. I've had a hard week. I think we'll just stay home and rest. It is the day of rest, right? So you can justify that, and then you'll see the fruit of that. Because guess what? When you go to college, every Sunday you need rest. Because you were out late on Saturday night, and... Uh, you had studies, and you got a big week coming up to uh, prepare for an exam, and I need, I need my rest, and we won't go to church. So let's talk about the importance of family worship, and then we'll talk uh, probably next week more about corporate worship, but uh, children need to worship. Uh, they're call- they, children, are called to worship called by God to worship, and they need to learn to worship, which means they have to be taught to worship. You're not born, you're, you know, you come into this world not knowing anything. You teach your children to love you. You teach your children to eat their food or clean up their room. All You teach them to read. You teach them math. You teach them all kinds of things. you got to teach them how to worship God by example, by word. They need to learn, so they need to learn, and children learn only when mom and dad model what worship looks like. We know the problem of telling somebody to do something and not doing it yourself. It's hypocrisy. So we want our words and our actions to match. So they need to hear the gospel, and they need to see the gospel. 
And those come together in a powerful way. So you don't want to just show them the gospel and never tell it to them. Uh, telling them brings uh, uh, particular information and detail that are necessary to put it in context and to understand it. But if all you do is tell them, but you don't show them, that will negate what you're telling them. Be like me, you know, smoking a cigarette, telling you that smoking's bad for you. Now, smoking is bad for you, whether I'm smoking a cigarette or not, okay? But you don't want to hear that from me. Does that make sense? So, likewise, the gospel, if, the, if I'm not living the gospel myself, if worship is indifferent to me, and I'm telling you how important worship is, worship is still important. It's, that's true. But the messenger is uh, making the message ugly. It's, it's, it's distorting and deforming and, and making this not uh, powerful. So your job, again, is to inculcate this in your children. So the role of liturgy is important which is another way of saying structure uh, is important. What we do at church on Sunday morning in worship is not to be isolated from what we're doing at home and vice versa. These are related, and they should look similar. Uh, if it is, uh, if, if, these are not, if these are isolated, then you've completely missed the point. The private family liturgy is practice for the public liturgy. So Monday through Saturday, what you're doing, and that's why I like, especially with little children, obviously there's always this transition period. It is hard for little children to sit here. It's hard for grown-ups to sit here, but uh, but to sit here for an hour, hour and a half, and you're not going to do that at home, I hope. Uh, you might do ten, five minutes, ten minutes. You're going to gradually get them used to sitting still. But if at home you're either not doing it or you're doing it in a way that's not structured, so they're crawling across the back of the couch, or you know they're coloring in a coloring book while you're trying to do family worship. Well, that's what you're teaching them worship is for. It's playtime. But you, when you teach them to sit still and be quiet, and to pay attention and to answer questions when you ask them, and to lift their hands when everybody else lifts their hands, and to sing when you sing. Uh, and to pray and bow your head and close your eyes and all the things you're doing there, and you're insisting on it, and you're disciplining for it, and that disciplines the whole range of positive instruction as well as correction, then guess what? Those little children are going to transition to public worship much, 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 much quicker than the folks who aren't doing that. If all you're getting is an hour and a half on Sunday, uh, then for two years you're going to be hauling kids out of here uh, because they're making too much noise and can't sit still. We'll say more about this next week. So, uh, the private family liturgy is practice for the public formal liturgy. The public formal liturgy is practice for life in the family. The two feed each other. And that's why it's so important. Uh, in athletics, everyone understands the need for a team mentality and for practice. So if you play in baseball or football or basketball, whatever, you go to practice. And what are you practicing for? The game. Real, the real thing. 
What if you just gave, didn't do the practice and you just showed up on the game day? How's it going to go? Probably not going to win many games. Probably not going to be very good at whatever it is you're doing, whatever sport it is. It's out there in the field. If you're a fielder, uh, I remember my dad out there for hours at a time hitting fly balls, ground balls, one hoppers, two hoppers, line drives, high high and over my head, and doing that over and over and over. And I, I can remember uh, my, my, one, my one glory moment in sports was in the sixth grade. My dad had been doing that for weeks, and I was playing center field, and a high fly ball headed out between left field and center field, and I took off on a dead run, and he had taught me to catch the ball, looking at the ball, and into the mitt. And I caught it, and I even rolled um, and came up with the ball. Um, I don't know who was most surprised. I think mainly me. Uh, but all that, had we not practiced, that would have never happened. And I got promoted to second base after that. So, um, so that's my own, you don't ever have to hear another sports story from me. Um, so, uh, unfortunately, many Christians fail to see this when it comes to church, and, we, and when we gather for public worship, we're all sitting together before the Lord, and we're all His children, and the communion is with every other person, not just with our particular family. And for a few minutes each Sunday, we're all God's children, members of His household, gathered around one table, worshiping and communing with Him and with one another. And communion, remember, community is what it's about. And that's what it should be about at your house. Everything you do. Remember I said, everything is culture. And everything you do should be contributing to loving communion. Including your worship, but also taking out the trash, preparing the meals, showing hospitality, going to work, paying the bills, correcting the children, resolving conflicts. Everything is about communion. And everything, you, all your labor, all your efforts should be to promote that. Why? Because that's what we were made for. Chief end of man, glorify God, enjoy Him. Communion, right? To glorify God means we reflect Him. And He is... He, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect loving communion all the time. What's the devil want to do? He can take any one of those things, including family worship, and throw sand in the gears. He, he's all about separation, which is death. Communion is about life. Separation is death. He wants to separate you from God. He wants to separate you from each other. And so he can take even worship, family worship, and turn it into a brouhaha where we're all mad at each other or taking out the trash or a fight over dinner or companies coming. Let's all get in a tizzy about getting the house clean because we want the company to think well of us, right? <laughs> so we're yelling at each other. And instead of contributing to beauty and communion, it is doing the exact opposite. So every time you see a conflict at your house, say, Okay, the devil's winning. 
He's having his way with us. Paul, uh, uh, Paul and Peter both talk this way, but Peter, for example, talks about not giving the devil a foothold between a husband and wife. What does that mean? Don't give him, don't give him a place to get a grip, to get some leverage, to get a foundation to do his dirty work. So one of the great things about family worship is it is a place where it calls our attention back to why we're here. Just as the Lord's table prepares us and teaches us what we're supposed to be doing at our family table, so when we come here today, pay attention and say, okay, in principle, this is the big table, this is the big picture, and that's what our table should look like at our house. We give thanks. We recognize sacrifices have been made for us to be here. We're one. We're all brothers and sisters. We're having communion with God and with each other. And so, too, the other things we do in worship are to put, be put into practice in our homes in a variety of ways. Formal public worship on the first day of the week refocuses us as to why we're here. You've heard me say it a million times, why we're here and, and uh, remember who we are and why we're here and remember who he is and what he's done for us. And when you come to your family table or to your family worship, which is another kind of table, you remember who you are and why you're here. We're the booths. We're Christians. We love each other. We're to commune with each other. We're going to pray together. We're going to read God's word together. We're going to talk to each other. We're going to sing together. We're going to do all these things together because we're a family and we're in communion. And so... Um, formal public worship on the first day of the week is, again, to be the model of that. And so uh, when your family gathers each day for its own time of formal worship, you're being reminded and refocused daily on why you're here and what you're supposed to be doing, that you belong to each other. And when you skip church because you're busy or tired or whatever, you send a powerful message to your children about how unimportant it really is. There's something else more important. And, you know, you go to work when you're busy and tired. Why? Well, a couple of reasons. Number one, you get fired if you don't, and you need a paycheck. And you're not willing to risk that. So you make yourself get up and go because it's your duty and you know there's a cost if you don't. Well, that's also sometimes why we do what we, Sometimes we, we get up and come because we're excited about it and we want to. And, and yet, how many things in your life are this way where you say, I don't really want to do that, and then you do it and then you're glad you did it? Again, I already mentioned Bible study and prayer, but I'm that way about camp. you that way about camp? Like, ugh. Camp. And then every time I go, I'm like, oh man, that was great. I'm glad it's not till next year that I have to do it again, but um, it was great. It was really great. Um, so, um, when you make it a priority to the point that you do it, especially when it's not easy or convenient, you also send a powerful message about how important it really is. Moreover, you do these things, uh, you do these same things with your daily family worship, again, that we do with church. 
Now, I know that establishing the habit of family worship is difficult for most people, but it's really, it really isn't a hard thing in itself. Again, the problem is in us. So back to Pastor Jeffrey's talks about structure becomes habit, and in time, habit becomes character. So if you think about family worship that way, I have to... I have to have the structure first. These are the rules. This is what time we're going to meet. This is how long we're going to do it. This is what we're going to read. We're going to have prayer. We're going to sing. We're going to pray. Uh, we're going to read the Word. Whatever. These are the elements that we're going to have. Uh, we're going to take, because we have little children, this is going to be 10 minutes. As we get older children, it becomes longer. There might be questions, other elements that we might bring in. Structure. Sit still, be quiet, open your Bible. Certain things that you're, decorum, uh, just like we would have here, uh, that you would, again, I mentioned not bringing your coffee cups and drinks into the worship service. You can do the same thing at home. Okay, time to put your toys up, time to put your cell phones up. That'd be a great thing to put up and turn off and uh, set aside. Um, I'm not going to get into this whole discussion. Roy and I were talking about it this week. We, had, uh, Pastor Jeffrey and I had the same conversation this morning about the importance of bringing your Bibles and not just using your phones. We'll have a totally separate discussion on why that is a good idea on another occasion. But I would urge you to teach your children to open their Bibles, and if it takes a little extra time for them to find Isaiah, take the time. They need to know where Isaiah is and help them. Um, so that's a we can get into some. In fact, we'll have a session soon where I get input from you. What things have worked for you? What things have you found helpful in this? Different age children, uh, things. Some things that work, some things that haven't. Uh, that that'll be some helpful things. But you can do this if you want to. You remember my thing about counseling? You either don't know what to do. Does anybody not know what to do here? Okay, we can help you with that. Do you not know how to do it? We can help you with that. You need some help doing it. We can help you with that. Do you want to do it? I can't help you with that. Those are the four things. So... There are a million excuses for not doing it, but none of those uh, really work on a sustained basis. You might be too sick or have some emergency come up, but apart from that, the real reason you don't do it is because you don't think it's that important. Let me give you an example. I hope. I hope it's a good example. You brush your teeth every day because you think it's important. You know, say, oh, it's too busy to brush my teeth today. Yeah, stay away from me. <laughs> you do it as a courtesy to others. You do it for good hygiene. You do it because you like to keep your teeth. Um, you hate the dentist. Yeah, that's another. There's a lot of motivations, right? Um, so there's any things you do, but you do them because, you, do you like brushing your teeth? Now, don't, if you do, don't tell me. That'd be weird. Uh, but... But, I mean, if you say, oh, I just love brushing my teeth. Um, 
it may be that you love brushing your teeth compared to going to the dentist, right? Those, if those are your two choices. But you do any number of things that you do because they're important, not because you love them, not because they're the thing that you're walking around, man, I wish I could go home and brush my teeth again. Now, sometimes you do that after you've had certain foods, right? But uh, um, anyway, I don't want to take that illustration too far. Um, You brush your teeth every day because you think it's important. So fathers, if you're not doing this with your family, stop making excuses. Repent. Turn around. Confess it and get after it. Failure to repent has serious consequences, very serious consequences. Lead your family in the paths of righteousness. I mentioned last week Peter Drucker's statement. I think David gave that to me years ago. Liturgy, our culture eats strategy for breakfast. So you can have a strategy, you should have a strategy, but if you, stop, if you rely on that alone and you never get it to the point of being a habit or a culture, then eventually the, the culture, the habit, will win out, the bad habit or the good habit. You've got to have the structure there long enough to get the good habit, but the structure by itself will be swallowed by the culture in time. So the idea is to have the structure and do it long enough for it to become culture. The structure has to become culture. So liturgy is just your habit or culture. It's what you do. And your family habits do more to inculcate ideas than anything else you do. Your family habits do more to inculcate ideas than anything else. So I tell newlyweds, you're about to get married. Uh, Keep all the good things from the family you grew up in and add a um, a few improvements. What are some things you want to change? What are things you want to do better? Because the sooner you can establish those habits in your new house, the things you do the first six months you're married, you will probably be doing 20 years later. Probably. You can change. That's the good news. It's just harder. So the sooner you get the habits in place and say, this is not just what we do. Our goal is for this to be who we are. We don't Going to church is something we do, but it's not just what we do, it's who we are. We are church people. We don't make that decision on Saturday night or Sunday morning. We already made that decision one time. So we go to church, we tithe, we pray, we read the Bible, we're hospitable. That's who we are. That's our culture. And if you do that, early, then your children will have not known anything else, and then that's what they'll do. It'll be easy for them because it'll be normal. Um, We all have ways of ordering our lives so that we might present ourselves acceptable to the one we worship. In the Old Covenant, there were psalms to be sung before entering the sacrifice, washings, trumpets, knives, blood, hyssop, uh, sprinklings, burnings, incense, Uh, body, food, eating, and drinking, all of these were done before Yahweh that their lives might be acceptable to Him. We have family liturgies as well, and while we might not conscientiously offer up our family time to God, we are, in fact, always performing these liturgies with the ultimate goal of pleasing the one or the ones that we worship. 
you're worshiping something. God made you are. It's an inescapable concept that you are a worshiping being. The question is, what are you worshiping? Who are you worshiping? And so we have family liturgies as well. And while we might not consciously offer up our family, well, I already said that. Take the take the family dinner table for example. There are rituals to be observed, roles to be fulfilled, cooks, servers, eaters, a master of ceremonies, depending on the event, rules to be observed, plates to be set with forks and knives in the proper position, napkins for uh, for cleaning eventually make their way to the laps of those eating, uh, drinks filled, no one eats till mom sits down, that kind of thing and prayers offered or thanks rendered. We could add to that many, many other things that happen at family tables, or should. And you might eat all your meals before the television, but if you took the time to break it down, something or someone is being honored even in that situation. Liturgies are inescapable. Worship is inescapable. And if we could observe the liturgy or culture of your family, what or who would we conclude is being worshipped. A few things happen in these small liturgies. You teach your children what's important through these liturgies. They grow up into the liturgies that are dominant in their lives. School, family, church, playtime, etc. They, they are worshippers and their worship is being directed and pointed in a certain direction. These liturgies shape them. They make them into a body. Uh, your family liturgies bring them into the body of the family. Uh, you can take your name. The booths do certain things. We don't talk like that. We talk like this. The booths do this. The booths don't do that. Yeah, but the next door, yeah, that's them. That's the Joneses. We're the booths. And the booths don't do what the Joneses do on Sunday morning or Saturday night or any number of other things. If you don't define these things, it's not that they'll go undefined. They'll be defined. Uh, school liturgies create the student body. Think of Texas A&M. Think, think of Aggies, right? But not too much. You know how they are. The healthier the liturgy, the healthier the body. Liturgies provide anchors. As you contemplate these things, remember that all these liturgies must themselves be anchored, informed, and shaped by another liturgy, the liturgy of the assembled saints of the triune God. All of our small liturgies are subsumed by the great liturgy of the church and all our liturgies rest upon the one great work of the people of God. And if we neglect that one great liturgy or forsake the assembly of the saints on the Lord's day, then all of our other liturgies will suffer. Your children will die. It's because of this truth that you must teach your toddler to share his toys, your daughter to clean her room, your son to tithe, and these little deaths will clarify their thinking. Now, as far as what we call family worship, I think, well, we're going to stop there. We're out of time, and we'll just take it up next week and go from there. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks.
for your word, for worship, for what it does to us and for us and how it shapes us and forms us into the image of Christ. We pray now that you would bless us as we do assemble together uh, as the body of Christ to worship you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.